Good morning. Um, We're reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, as we continue in this series on Ephesians, uh, I am also not completely unaware that uh, we're approaching uh, uh, the whole season leading up to Easter, and um, and we happen to be also be reading in Ephesians about the resurrection, and uh, it made me think a little bit about uh, Easter when I was a kid. Now, I don't know, I know it's probably different for everybody. Uh, but to, to give you an idea, when I was a kid, on Easter Sunday, we would uh, wake up, me and my siblings, and there'd be some kind of in-house egg hunt, and there'd be candy in those little plastic eggs. There'd be a lot of chocolate that morning. Uh, there would be maybe a special meal or two that day. Uh, I would usually be compelled to uh, squeeze into some kind of a some kind of a suit, which I think is really cruel for small boys uh, to make them wear a suit. A green suit, I think I remember one year, uh, with a some kind of a tie. Remember clip-on ties, guys? Remember those? Those are pretty awesome. And um, But really uncomfortable on your neck, really scratchy. And, uh, you know, I, I would go to, to church on Easter Sunday with my family, and it would be this time of everyone being happy, and there's extra donuts, so that's a really nice thing, uh, extra coffee uh, for the grown-ups. And uh, I remember it being exciting, Easter, that is, but I don't remember it really impacting me that much. And uh, it didn't really change how I lived the next day. Uh, It didn't really connect with my life. It was just a a fun holiday, I suppose. And and I think if you're like me, uh, and maybe most believers, you know, we can talk about the resurrection a lot. The resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of us uh, on the last day. Uh, we might occasionally think about it. We celebrate it on Easter Sunday. But if you're maybe like me and other believers, you don't you don't see how it connects with your life. Uh, maybe when you think about the resurrection, you might get the same feeling uh, as when you realize you still have ten thousand miles left on your car's extended warranty. You're like, oh, that's nice. It's good. I've got a it's got a piece, got some peace of mind there. But it's not really changing so much how we live. Uh, And so our resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies on the last day, can be for Christians one of the most vague, ethereal concepts ever. Like we can say we believe it, 
But how is it meant to change us? Well, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians is telling us that it is meant to change us. He's praying that the Ephesians would understand more and more how it's meant to change them. And so Easter Sunday might be the most amped up celebration of a vague and ethereal concept you could ever imagine, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it's not just a holiday, not just a a time for feasting, not just a a time for special pictures to be taken. It can be something uh, that isn't just once a year, but it's something we can celebrate every day. Every day. That, uh, That we could see how Easter Sunday connects with our lives. You know, I remember so much how, how Easter would be a big, uh, big exciting thing, and then like the, later that afternoon, maybe later that night, after all the festivities are over, uh, you know, it'd be like a normal Sunday again. You know, there'd be boredom, there'd be uh, maybe the stress and pressure of school or work would hit again. Um, it wouldn't be too long before, uh, you know, as an adult, you know, maybe everything else just kind of goes back into normal. You start feeling the pressure and stress of life. You lose sleep once more over your finances. Uh, you, you have experienced grief over a loved one's poor health or, uh, or a strife with a hard relationship. But Easter, rather the resurrection, is meant to penetrate and change all of those things. And so uh, a, a scholar named F.F. F. Bruce says this, that Paul's prayer here in Ephesians is offered so that the ideal set forth, the ideal of how we can fully realize the joys of our benefits in Christ, that this may be experienced, yes, we'll experience it perfectly in the resurrection age, but also in ample measure at the present through the ministry of God's Holy Spirit. He prays that we may know the immeasurable greatness of His power for those who believe. The power that was at work when he raised Jesus from the dead. But what in the world does that mean? Let's look at that. So we're going to look at his, his great, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. One, before all time. Two, for all time. And three, at this time. One, before all time. Two, for all time. And three, at this time. King's Cross Church is a church that prays, um, so let me, let me pray. I, know I normally don't, but uh, let's pray as we look at this. Father, we open your word and we want to hear from you. Uh, we, we long to see and to indeed have the eyes of our hearts opened more, to more fully realize what it is Christ has done for us. What, what it is his resurrection has achieved for us. What it is you have laid out for us. Father, give us the hope that Paul is talking about here. Fill us with this. That you might be glorified through the changes that happen in our lives as a result. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. So one, before all time. And then for all time, and then at this time. So one, before all time. In 15 verse A, uh, sorry, A is like the first half, in case you, you know, you got to figure it out. So like verse 15A, 15B, if you ever hear someone talk about that, uh, they're talking about like the first phrase or whatever in that verse. So in verse 15A, uh, we have to kind of start at the basics here, because at the beginning of verse 15, it says, for this reason. And whenever there's a phrase like that, for this reason, or 
therefore, or because, anything like that, you know that it's talking about something that happened before it. So Paul is, is saying, for this reason, he's referring to verses 1 through 14. So for this reason, and then in line with that, is because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. For this reason, what? I do not cease to give thanks for you. And so what is for this reason? He is talking in, in verse 3 through 14. Remember, verses 3 through 14 is this massive one sentence with no breaks in the original language. That although we have punctuation and we have uh, a few periods in there uh, in our English translations, uh, that's really just to help our brains take it in. Uh, that's meant to help us read it and to help us try to understand it. But really, in the original Greek, the Apostle Paul is just going on and just boom, this big explosion of joy and awe at what God has done. And Paul is saying, because of all that, and then he almost just summarizes it by saying this, because I've heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for the saints. Because of all that, I pray and give thanks. And so what Paul's referring to here is what God has done before all time. What has God has done before the foundation of the world? Because what God has done before the foundation of the world is, has resulted in the Ephesians at this moment, at this time, having faith, and having love for one another. You know, because faith is not as easy uh, to come by as one might think. And, and love for the church is not as easy to come by as one might think. You know, it's interesting that, uh, that uh, Jesus, you know, once said, hey, when, uh, you know, the world, everyone, you know, love one another, first of all, and all will know you are my disciples if you do this, if you have love for one another. And I often hear that, and I'm like, yeah, that's important. We should love one another. And then I, I kind of wonder, is that, is that kind of Jesus very gently saying, now remember, you all aren't that lovable to begin with. <laughs> like He spends a lot of time with them. Jesus spends a lot of time with his disciples, and he knows uh, all the things that make them a little hard to love. Right? They're constantly fighting with each other, trying to, to argue over who's the best, uh, trying to uh, vie for position when Jesus comes in glory. They're like, uh, James and John are like sending their mom to go uh, like put a word in with Jesus that they could be number one or number two in Jesus' kingdom. And like, they, they fight, they, they bicker, they, they don't understand things, they're slow to believe. Uh, they can be hard to love, and it can be hard for them to love one another. They, they do all this. And so Jesus you know, and he says, by this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All right, so it, it is an amazing work of the Spirit, an amazing work of God, that one, we would come to faith to begin with, and two, that we would have love for one another. He's actually not praising the Ephesians for their faith and their love in one another. If you really look at this, he's praising God and crediting God with giving them faith in Christ in the first place and for working in their hearts that they might love one another. God is getting the credit. Paul is giving God the credit. And so he's giving God all the thanks for what God has done in the Ephesians, whom he has, if you go through 3 through 14, whom he has called, he has predestined, he has redeemed. Paul gives God all the credit. Indeed, in, in verse 4, it talks about uh, how God has chosen us in him, in Christ, 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. That, in verse 5, that in love He predestined us for adoption. And all of this to the praise of His glorious grace. God is doing something and has done something. If you believe in Christ, God has done something in you and will continue to do that in you. And it's all to make you more and more like Him. And it's all for His glory. To the praise of His glorious grace. To show His goodness, His kindness. And it all started before all time. Because we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Chosen that we should be holy and blameless in God's sight. Uh, if, if you believe in Christ, you are not an accidental convert. Nor, nor were you superior for your willingness to believe, superior to those who would not believe. We believe because we were chosen. There is no other way any of us could ever be saved. Paul, the apostle, knows this. Peter has experienced this. They all know this. They know how it has happened this way. And this is not new that the apostle Paul is something he's inventing, but Jesus himself in John 15 said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We are chosen to give God glory, chosen to be his, chosen to give, uh, to be saved. Yes, predestined and all that, that we should glorify him, predestined in love of the Father for adoption as sons. And yes, I'll pause here just for a second and just say uh, that yes, when we uh, as, as Christians who believe in the things that I've just said, which I, I know it's, it seems more and more, um, well, anyway, it's what Scripture says, and I'm just passing on that to you. But it can be so easy to believe this and to become a little, um, a little too self-confident, maybe a little conceited. Uh, that, that, oh yes, well, I believe what is right. I believe what the Bible says. And we can miss what it's actually saying about us. Miss that, that really, as we get this, it should give us profound humility and profound gratitude for what God has done in us that we cannot do in ourselves. And all this for the, according to the purpose of His will. And I'll kind of touch and go on maybe some of the objections or thoughts you might have about that. But let me explain this first, what God has done before all time. Right? So um, there's one pastor I've been reading about union with Christ who, who mentioned this. And I don't, I don't think I got to this last week, but if I did, I'm going to say it again. Um, but, uh, so he writes this, Most of us have wondered at one time or another if we were switched at birth. Are these really my parents? You might think. Now imagine your parents are mean and critical that you have, you're a child and you've always been a disappointment to them and they to you. But then one day you find a dusty trunk in the attic. You blow, it off, you blow off the dust. You quietly pick the lock and open the trunk and discover papers that prove you had, in fact, been abducted as a baby. These aren't your real parents after all. They're criminals. You discover that your real mom was a famous painter in Paris and your real dad was a Nobel Prize winning scientist and a professional baseball player. And you say to yourself, of course, this explains everything. I'm extraordinary. I knew it all along. And you read that, of course, they're also fabulously wealthy and have a lavish inheritance waiting for you. Such a discovery would cause you to reinterpret everything about your life, where you came from, your true identity, your capacities and capabilities, the resources available to you, your future, your destiny. 
After that day, your life would never be the same. You would come down from the attic with new eyes for everything and everyone. Your whole life would feel new, changed, and invigorated. But here's the thing. It had always been true. It was the truth underlying your life even before you discovered it. It was rooted in history, and you had the DNA to prove it. It was true while it was hidden from your sight, but it didn't change your life until your eyes were opened to it. In some ways, there's some carryover with this because in this, in this, um, we have been set apart to be Christ's if you believe in Him from before there was time, before the foundation of the world. And if you are Christ, if you believe in Him, there was some time, and maybe it was before you can remember, maybe it was when you were quite young. It is different for everybody. But there was a day when you started to realize that you were His. And, uh, and this, as, as God teaches it, as Paul teaches this, can tremendously, of course, transform our lives when we just begin to embrace this reality. That we don't come to Him as those who are trying our hardest to believe and never let go. Because we'll never be able to hold on that tight. But we believe as those who've been drawn to Him, those who are held in His arms, and His working faith and love into us. I had a friend who was a... He happens to be a, a pastor now, uh, but he uh, was, when, it, when he was a 17 or 18 year old, he was uh, at a place in his life where he was beginning to traffic drugs, driving them across state lines and, and knowing that it was wrong, but he grew up in a, some kind of a religious upbringing and went to his, uh, his minister and, uh, and said, you know, how can, I, how can I have strength to do obey God in this? And, and the minister said, well, you just have to hold on. Picture a rope between you and heaven. You just have to hold on to that rope as tight as you can. And my friend walked away disheartened and, and went away because he knew he didn't have the strength to hold on that tight. And he ended up uh, in New York. It was three strikes and you're out. We ended up going to prison. Um, came to faith in Christ in that prison. Met his wife, who was a pen pal, uh, through some pen, uh, prison pen pal thing. Uh, then, uh, and he, he's actually a, a minister now, and he's sharing the gospel and training pastors uh, around the world in, in closed countries and the like. Um, it's amazing what God has done with him. But all that was not because he could suddenly hold on tighter, but because God had set him apart from before time began. Now, in this illustration that I gave earlier about the, you know, finding out that your parents are, are, are not who you thought they were, uh, that this, uh, it's not like we would have believed this about ourselves if it were displayed on our living room wall our entire, our entire childhood. Like, if all of this was laid out for us, we would walk by it day after day after day because we would be, uh, we were spiritually blind until God opened our eyes to see. But we, are, we were spiritually blind until God opened our eyes to see. And indeed, millions of people decorate Christmas trees every year, maybe even crack open the Bible to read about the birth of Jesus and miss the truth of what Christ came to do. The same with those who hunt for Easter eggs and whatnot. Uh, you know, and that's why I don't care if we hunt for Easter eggs or not, because I know that in itself, I mean, whatever, it's fun. I have no idea where we started doing that. But uh, like that in itself is, it's supposed to point, everything's supposed to point to the real message, which is the gospel. 
Until our eyes are open, it won't make sense. And are we who see better people than those who do not? Nothing could be further from the truth. Because all this comes from uh, the Spirit. Um, and, uh, and, and all of this, you know, is, I, I think that one of the big differences is, is being able to see, yes, at Christmas, at Easter, there might be things that we learn that make us want to be better people that make us, and the world would say, oh, this message is helpful for me. It helps me want to be generous and to remember all these things. But uh, really, the message of the gospel is, is not about us becoming the ultimate person, but the message that we can, be, can belong to the ultimate man. Not that we can become the ultimate man, but that we belong to the ultimate man. So, uh, in this, it's all about things that happened far before the beginning of time. And the Spirit is who comes into our life and gives us faith, the Spirit of, of wisdom, the Spirit of revelation. Uh, in Proverbs, we see God as, as personified as wisdom. In the book of Revelation itself, all throughout chapters 2 and 3, at the end of every message to each church, it says, uh, the Spirit uh, the Spirit says to the churches in the book of Revelation. And so there is a Spirit that opens our eyes. And it's because, if, you are, if you're in Christ, it's because He has predestined you in love for adoptions, adoption as sons. And so, uh, as, as Charles Wesley once wrote in his hymn, he once wrote this, And can it be, that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood, that died He for me, me who caused His pain, for me who Him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And because we were, our, we were set apart from before time began, this happened to Charles Wesley. He writes this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. But thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And this began. This immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe was first exercised before all time for our sake. But it's also not just before all time, but it will last forever through the end for all time. It happens for all time. That means we are secure. That there is uh, a, a future perfect in this. Um, that, that there, that the, all throughout, in Ephesians and, and elsewhere, it says we're raised with Christ. Uh, it says, uh, if you go, uh, if you go to Romans chapter 8, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 30. It says, we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it says this, for those God whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now that last word glorified is something that for each and every one of us has not yet happened. It's called a future perfect. It's, it's something that is so certain that it's going to happen, that it's written as though it's in the past tense. You know, it's, it's like someone were to say, uh, I don't know, if, if, I were, if I were a king and I had a servant and, and I said, hey, would you go do this? And the servant would say, consider it done. 
right? Uh, that we can consider it done. It is done. That our glorification is this, that when, uh, after we have died, when Christ returns on the last day, unless he happens to return, unless that last day is before we have a physical death, which is very possible, he can come at any moment now, yes. But uh, we, when we have this resurrection of our bodies, that our bodies will not be as we know them now. That they will still be our bodies in some way, but they will be un, uh, un uh, affected by the fall of all creation. Our bodies will be perfect in some way or another. Every little thing that we're insecure about with our bodies, we won't be insecure about anymore. Uh, We won't want to hide anymore. Uh, We will have these glorified versions of our bodies that are very real physical bodies. Uh, That we will... uh, Heaven, yes, heaven is where we go when we die. And yet after heaven, if you read Revelation, there is a new heavens and a new earth, which is a very physical place just like this. And we will have physical glorified bodies unaffected by sin and death and live forever fully human. Not as floating angels all around the place, but as fully human, glorifying God, uh, enjoying Him forever. And this is certain because it's happened for all time. If we go uh, to John chapter 6, uh, Jesus as well says that this is certain. If, uh, if you have a phone or a Bible, you can flip there. I'm just going to read really quick. In 6 verse 39, uh, he, says, he says this, And this is the will of Him, the Father who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone... Uh, who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This is certain. And we are secure in this because we are His inheritance. In some ways, you see, in some places in Scripture, and even in Ephesians, you see how it says that we have a great inheritance in Christ. And yet, in other places, it also says that we are his inheritance. We are his treasured possession. That that we, uh, Paul prays that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know the hope he's called, the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? His glorious inheritance, the Father's glorious inheritance in the saints. We are his inheritance. We have a great inheritance. We have it all, but we are also his inheritance. That we, raised with him, are his inheritance. And because we're his inheritance, he's not going to let us go. He's not going to let us go bad. He's not going to uh, let us out of his grip because we are treasured to him. F.F. Bruce says again the fact that God should, could, should set set such high value on a community of sinners rescued from perdition and still bearing too many many traces of our former state might well seem incredible were it not made clear that the Father sees us in Christ as from the beginning we were chosen in Christ. That we, because, remember, I've said this a million times, I think, 
There's a Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator. Uh, don't try to write it down unless you know Latin. Uh, but uh, it's, it's one of those things that once you know it, you kind of learn it. But simul justus et peccator means simultaneously just, yet a sinner. That we're simultaneously justified if you're in Christ. When the Father looks at you, He knows, He knows that we're still sinners and we still struggle. And yet He looks at us as though we are pure legally. And he looks at us as though we are as righteous as his son Jesus. And all that by grace. All that by his grace. Uh, in verse 11, it also says, it says in verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance. It can also be translated in him we have been obtained as an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Zechariah 2 mentions the Lord will inherit Judah as His portion. Uh, in Isaiah 19, it talks about Israel, my inheritance. In Zephaniah 3, 17, it says the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you and quiet you with His love. That He, we are His. God is going to look after His treasured possession. One of the best feelings in the world is to know that you are loved as you are. Especially in this world that wants performance from us, this world that measures us constantly based on what we're doing, how well we've done, how we look, uh, where we came from, where we're going, what we might be able to offer them, uh, whether we're of any use to them. And God says, I want you just as you are. You know, there's a man uh, named Fred Rogers who had a TV show for a number of years called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, I grew up with him. Maybe some of you did too. But he was, uh, he was fa famous. He was loved. He was recognized as, as one who just, he wanted to be on TV literally so that children who had no one else but a TV would know that they're special, would know that they're loved but would know that they are not, the core of who they are is not how the world might be treating them at that time. And it's no surprise that he was a Presbyterian minister and had a great faith in Jesus, and that actually is what drove his desire to be on television, <clears throat> to tell kids this message. To let them know that they are treasured. We are treasured in him. Uh, his inheritance. And so we look... Um, and he has placed also the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee for us to know that we are his. In other words, if you, if you believe in him, if you ache and groan uh, at when you um, know that you are a sinner, when you see that you have sinned, when, you, when that hurts you and you want to repent, and when you come to him and, and know that he has forgiven you, when you have that kind of faith, a faith that looks to him in all things, a faith that, that knows that even when we fall, he will still take us back which is different than a faith that, that believes that if we're good enough, God will keep loving us. That's different. But if we know this faith, if we have this faith, that it's because the Spirit has done that work in our hearts. And that Spirit at work in our hearts is, a, is His guarantee that we will stay His uh, forever. So this immeasurable greatness of His power towards those who believe, one, before all time, two, for all time, which gives us great security now, three, at this time. We may come uh, to know and experience the surpassing greatness of the power of God according to the operation of the strength of His might. If the death of Christ is, 
how God shows his love. It's the resurrection of Christ that how he ultimately shows his power. And that power is to be at work in us. Even amidst the stresses of work or school, even amidst uh, losing sleep over finances, even amidst the strife of relationships that are, that are going bad or there's tension there. And we can know at this time that if you are raised with him in the future, he is here with you now. We are united to Christ. We have power to endure. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Philippians. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, uh, and, and if you don't know, your new, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. So if Philippians is right after Ephesians. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about how he has learned uh, to be uh, content in everything. That no matter what is happening to him, uh, wh- whether he is in poverty or whether he's in pain, whether he's in uh, hunger or whether he has plenty, he can do all things through him who strengthens me because the power that is at work that will secure his resurrection at the last day is at work in him today. And so he remembers the Ephesians in his prayers and longs for them to know, uh, to know this incredible hope they have the riches of who they are to him, and this incredible power uh, towards those we believe. This is the power that can transfer, uh, that can change us from a place of saying, I don't have enough, to a place of really feeling like Christ is more than enough. To move from a place, and this is where the world, this is where the world works and where our hearts work so often, to know, yes, to have this feeling of, I just don't have enough. I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more of this, a little bit more of this, and then I'll be content. But this power of Christ working in us can move us from there to knowing that He is more than enough. And I think what's in between there is knowing that in Him we have it all and that were everything to him. In the middle there between I don't have enough and he is more than enough is is knowing that in Christ we have it all. We have this incredible inheritance waiting for us. And in in a sense, it's ours now. We're just waiting to have it and experience it in its fullness at that last day and for all time, for all eternity. And then also knowing that we are everything to him, that we are his treasured possession. And knowing also, being reminded of eternity, that, that when we think of eternity, we often think of, I don't know, like the, the index section of a book. And like our, our life is the main part of the book, and eternity is like this little thing at the end of it. When the reality is, like, the lives that we're living right now is like the copyright page, and the book hasn't even begun yet. All of our existence, like we have barely tapped in to our existence, the existence of who we are. Because in, once the second life happens, once this resurrection begins, then life in its fullness really starts. Now, the struggle I think that we all have is this, that, that we're always wanting all of heaven on earth, right? We, we want more of heaven 
on earth now. Like we want, we want to have more of heaven's pleasures now, and we might even be a little disillusioned as to why, why in the world, uh, you know, if God is good, why isn't my life more like heaven now? Well, we were never promised that to be true yet. But as Paul says, by the power of his spirit working in us, we can enjoy him even amidst hardship and suffering, amidst all kinds of things. It is a sign. We will move from thinking that a sign of God's love is that we're prosperous and healthy to knowing that a sign of God's love is he can renew our faith and renew our joy amidst hardship. That the Spirit working in us can do that. And I know I would much rather have my way than knowing... Uh, I'd, much, I'd just rather, much rather have my way, I think, is really what I'm going to say. Um, it's like the GPS thing. Like, I, I, just, I, I know where I want to go, and I know what I want now. And God's saying, you can trust me with where to go next. And I might think, but yeah, but that, doesn't that violate something about me? Doesn't that violate my, my choice? Doesn't that violate my, my, my free will? That, that everything is kind of fixed ahead? It's actually quite the opposite that is true. You know, I'll use the illustration uh, of, of the movie The Matrix, that uh, Neo, the main character, uh, is one day awakened to see that his whole life he's been plugged into a fake program, a computer program, and, and nothing that he knew previously was actually real. So the irony of thinking that predestination equals fatalism is actually, it's, it's actually quite opposite, because once Neo's eyes are opened, he is more fully aware, more fully willful, more fully alive, able to interact with the world and reality uh, around him in, world, in ways he could not do so before. And this gives us Incredible hope. And we can trust him in all these things. Um, so in, in all this, I'll just cut uh, to the end and finish this, that we may be slow to believe that what is to come is ours. We may rather things be better now. But knowing that Christ gave of himself, that we might have it all, and that God doesn't hold himself back from us now, but is always with us. That we can experience that power every day. And as uh, the kind of thing that can float, knowing that we are his and he is ours. As summarized in Song of Songs, chapter 1, I believe, it says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Yes, yeah, Song of Songs is about, it's about a husband and wife, about two lovers, and yet... It's also about God's relationship with us. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. His desire for me went so far that he would endure a cross for us, go to the grave for us. And that just as he rose from the dead, so that power will raise us from the dead as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we give you praise for what you have done in us, and we give you praise. <clears throat> for what you will yet do through us. Father, would you assure our hearts this morning that the things that we are longing after are not what we will not bring us what we think they will. They will not bring us the peace that we think they will. They will not bring us the, the joy and hope that we think they will. For every new thing that we get eventually tarnishes, doesn't it? 
And even every new relationship is, you know, relationships are relationships. They're work, Father, even though you bless us through them. Father, the only relationship that will be a continual blessing to us uh, is, is, is the relationship of your pursuing us. A relationship where you have done all the work to make that relationship secure. Uh, we praise you and ask that you would do much through us, through your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.